Elizabeth Barrett Browning, a poet, penned a sonnet that started something like this. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach, feeling out of sight. And yes, I googled it. Just in case you thought I knew that from memory. I did not, but I do that first line, how do I love thee, let me count the ways. That's kind of a, a famous line, I guess, and is used in, in many different settings. And you know, we can think about special occasions, whether it be birthdays or anniversaries or Mother's Day or Christmas and things like that. And, and the giving of cards and flowers and presents and all those kinds of things, those expressions of love. That we offer to those close to us and those that we care about. But we also understand that, that love is more than just giving presents. It's more than even just expressing it verbally. That's why, you see, I kind of changed the, uh, the title of the lesson this evening. It was originally telling God that I love you. But... The more I thought about it, it's more than just telling God that we love him. John, along with Matthew and Mark, record a very intimate yet public display of love for Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. We're not going to read the whole chapter, just so you know, for those that were here this morning. But beginning in John chapter 12 and verse 1. Now remember, this is following along what we talked about the last couple weeks about the raising of Lazarus. Okay, This is just following right along the heels of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So John chapter 12, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And we'll stop there. Now, this story is familiar and similar to, but not to be confused with, another story that Luke tells us in Luke chapter 7. And if you remember that story, that is the story where Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house. And the sinful woman comes in and begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her tears. Okay? We don't want to get these two events confused. The one in Luke, first of all, was in the middle of Jesus' ministry. This story in Matthew, Mark, and John 
Is it the end of Jesus' ministry right before uh, his death, right before the triumphal entry and all those things that are going to happen? The one in Luke was at Simon the Pharisee's house. The one here we find out in Matthew and Mark was at Simon the leper's house. Same names, different situation. Not Simon the Pharisee, but Simon the leper. Uh, And in this case, in the other case, it was the sinful woman that washed his feet. And in this case, it was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. In the other case, the point of contention was the fact that the woman was a sinful woman. You remember, they were all saying, well, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her touch him and all that. That's not the case here. The case of contention here, at least with Judas, was the expense, the extravagant expense of the gift that was given uh, to Jesus. So we see that Martha served as usual. Mary, the more emotional of the sisters, comes and anoints Jesus. And we see also that Mary anointed Jesus' head and feet. In John, John only records that she anointed his feet. In Matthew and Luke, it's recorded that she anointed his head. And I'd never really thought about this until this time. Why does John make the distinction about the feet and leave out the head? I think I know. Because what's about to happen in John chapter 13? Jesus is going to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, I don't know this for a fact. But I just kind of, in my mind, have now envisioned that John is kind of setting that scene up by reminding us of what happened in this scene. That Mary comes in and washes Jesus' feet and anoints them. But a chapter later, none of the disciples are going to wash either his feet or each other's feet. So I was thinking tonight about what was so special about this expression of love and what can we learn about our expressions of love to God today. Remember that Jesus once said, it's not enough to say unto me, Lord, Lord. And I would rephrase that just a little bit for tonight's lesson. It's not enough just to say, I love you, God. You know, that's kind of easy. We can get bumper stickers that say, you know, I heart God. And we can put them on our our cars or we can get t-shirts or we can get bracelets or we can get necklaces or we can do whatever we want to do to express that we love God. But what God has told us over and over again in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is that it goes beyond just saying the words. It goes to our actions and our expressions of love. So the first point I wanted us to see tonight is, is that the gift was a sacrifice. Now, one of the hardest things about traveling to foreign countries, at least for me, is trying to figure out the exchange rate. You know, when we go to Brazil and and I cash in my dollars for hay eyes, or I've been to England and I cash in my dollars for pounds, or I've been to Mexico and I cash in my dollars for pesos or whatever. And then I go to buy something. 
Well, there's this mental calculation that has to go through. Okay, so I'm paying so many hayes or pesos or pounds for this. And then there's so many dollars to the peso pound or hayei. So in dollars, I'm paying I what I, I don't know. So normally, I just don't bother with it and I just pay it. You know, if I got it, I just pay it. Because it gets confusing. And if you notice in your footnotes at the bottom of the text where it said that Judah said that this was a year's wages, my footnote says that it, in the Greek it said 300 denarii. Well, what is 300 denarii? You know, I, if it just said 300 denarii, I wouldn't have a clue to what that meant. But we all understand a year's wages, don't we? We may not get, you know, 300 denarii, but we understand a year's wages. And you know, it doesn't matter how much you make. A year's wages is a year's wages. If you make $30,000 a year, a year's wage is $30,000 a year. That's still a year's wage. If you make a million dollars a year, a million dollars is still... A year's wage and a year's wage lost in a sense. So I want you to think about for just a minute the fact that this perfume that Mary was bringing and pouring on Jesus' head and on his feet was worth a year's wages. Wow. I don't mean to, you know, I love y'all. But I ain't spending any year's wages on y'all. You know, pro, you know, you know, how many of us could actually even afford to do something like that? And yet Mary, and I don't know why she had been saving up, saving this up for some reason, special occasion or whatever it is. And she decided that it was now time to use this. I'm guessing, and this is a total guess. I'm guessing that this perfume was something that probably she used very sparingly. If it was worth a year's wages. A drop here, a drop there for a special occasion. But when it came to Jesus, she poured the whole thing out. Used every bit of it for Jesus. Our expressions of love are sacrificial, should be sacrificial. And I looked up the word sacrifice. And according to the dictionary, it says the offering of something to a deity. Okay, we understand that. You know, you can go back and, you know, whatever it is. And then the second definition. The forfeiture of something highly valued for the sake of someone or something to be considered of greater value. The offering of something highly valued for something or somebody considered to be of greater value. And that's what sacrifice means. And God calls us to sacrifice. God calls us to sacrifice in many different ways. The forfeiture of something highly valued, costly, extravagant. You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 24 that uh, David was going, wanted to, was coming to a town he was going to sacrifice. And the people there were going to give him 
the offering with which to sacrifice. Okay, we'll give you the bull or we'll give you the sheep or whatever it was. We'll give it to you so you can sacrifice. And David said this, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David understood that it wasn't so much just about the act of sacrifice. But the sacrifice that went into the sacrifice. Sacrifice does not mean an inconvenience. Sacrifice does not mean giving to God the leftovers. You know, well, I'm going to pay all my bills. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to do whatever. And whatever's left over, then I will give that to God. Whether it be our time or money or whatever the case may be. God calls us to sacrifice. And it could be money, time, could be pride, could be security. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us that our lives are to be a sacrifice to God. Jesus said that the greatest command was to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. We sacrifice for our families. We sacrifice for our children. We sacrifice for our jobs. But are we really sacrificing to God? And I know that you may be thinking, because I would be thinking, well, you know, they did those sacrifices in the Old Testament. You know, and they're required to do, you know, the bulls and the goats and the and the the first fruits of the crops and all that, you know, they're required to do all of that. But then comes the New Testament. And those sacrifices have all been done away with. Yeah. But if there's one thing that we've learned about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, at least the way it was interpreted by the Jews. The Old Testament was about minimums. What is the least I have to do? In order to be right with God. Jesus comes along and says. That's baloney. That's ridiculous. It's not. It shouldn't ever be about what's the least. I can do in order to please God. It's what's the most I can possibly do. To please God. That was the whole message of the Sermon on the Mount. Kind of. And so we want to make sure that we sacrifice. And that we give to God what is due to him. Mary's gift was a sacrifice. Secondly, Mary's gift was an expression of love. Now again, remember the setting. This was right on the coattails of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You remember, it hadn't been that long ago that Mary was saying to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yes, I believe that he'll be raised at the resurrection, but that's not really any comfort right here and now. And then Jesus has the stone rolled away from the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is brought back to life. And is lounging right there in the room at the dinner table. And Mary is seeing that. 
And she's understanding what Jesus has done for her and Martha and for Lazarus. Raising him from the dead. All because of Jesus. He turned the worst time of her life into the most joyous time of her life. It was a heartfelt expression of love and gratitude. But I think it was even more than that. Jesus alludes to the fact that Mary was doing this for a specific purpose. Jesus said, she is preparing my body for burial. Remember, Mary's the one who would sit at the feet of Jesus. Mary was the one who may have been a little more in tune to the things that Jesus said. Mary may have been the one person out of all the disciples and the followers who understood when Jesus says, I'm fixing to die. But I'm going to be raised on the third day. She may have gotten it. And she may have actually... Now, whether she actually knew it or Jesus was just saying... You know, but he kind of alludes to the fact that she knew something and she was preparing his body for burial. Another thing that's kind of interesting to me, of all the women that go to the tomb on the third day, the first day of the week, to prepare Jesus' body and to, you know, get it. You know, it's already been buried, but they couldn't do all that stuff because he died on the Sabbath and and all of that. Of all the women that are listed who went to the tomb that day, this Mary wasn't one of them. She wasn't included in those women. I kind of think because she knew she'd already done what she needed to do. When we calculate what God has done for us... His immeasurable love for us, his sacrifice for us. Can anything be too great to offer in return? I think it's important to make a distinction between an expression of love and devotion and a work of merit. We have a couple of songs in our songbooks that are paradoxical. Know what that means? Most of you do. I'll tell you for those that don't, it won't be exactly right. But, you know, they kind of say opposite things. You know, kind of like the jumbo shrimp thing. Okay. Well, okay. We have a song called Rock of Ages. And in one of the verses in Rock of Ages, it says, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Now, we understand that, don't we? We understand what that means. But you know, we have another song. And this song is called, the title of the song, and it's also in the first verse and in the chorus, Must I Go and Empty-Handed, Thus My Dear Redeemer Meet, I think. But the idea there is, is, woo, I don't want to go to Jesus empty-handed. Wait a minute, but the other song said... Nothing in my hand I bring. What's the deal there? Well, we get it. We understand it. We know that when it comes to earning our salvation, there is absolutely nothing we can bring to God that puts him in our debt to save us. 
not our good works, not our heritage, not our church attendance, not anything. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. But as an expression of our love and our appreciation and our devotion to God, we bring him our sacrifices, whatever they may be in our lives. We do not ever want to appear to be ungrateful for all that God has done for us. We come to him in our sins and our spiritual decay, begging for grace and mercy, and he gladly gives it to us. Yet, can any sacrifice or expression of love be too great to glorify and praise and thank him for that grace and mercy? The extent of our sacrifice to God and the expression of love that we offer him is directly related, I believe, to the heartfelt understanding of what he has done for us. And when I think about Mary, I think about her expression of love to Jesus. I don't think it was just about what he had done in raising Lazarus from the dead. But as I said before, I believe Mary had some insight. And this was also gratitude and appreciation for what Jesus was going To do. Because she'd been listening. To his teachings. Thirdly. The gift was a blessing. To others. The gift was meant for Jesus. Yet it was a blessing. To others as well. You remember what it said. And the fragrance filled the whole house. Now you know. I am not. A smelly person. I don't like fragrances. I don't like perfume. I don't like candles. I don't like potpourri. I don't like, that's just me. I don't like any of that stuff. I mentioned that once before and I said, you know, but if they ever made a bacon scented candle, that might be okay. And you know what? They make a bacon scented candle and somebody brought me one. It was a letdown. I got to tell you. It, it, it really was. It doesn't smell anything like when Kenya's frying the bacon in the morning. Popcorn potpourri, I might go for that. You know, if they make any popcorn potpourri, I might go for that. But I'm not into that. But many of the gifts and sacrifice we make to God, if not all of them, are centered around what we do for others. God in this day and age... In the New Testament, almost never requires of us to bring a sacrifice that is just for him alone. Our sacrifices, which is really our daily lives and what we do, are all about how we deal with other people and how we treat other people. And how we, we, we reach out and we share the gospel with other people. Our sacrifice is to be a blessing to those around us. We show our love for God by showing love for others. We sacrifice to God by sacrificing for others. 
Matthew and Mark both record Jesus as saying that Mary's actions would be a legacy that would be told everywhere the gospel was preached. This story, Jesus said, what this woman has done for me is going to outlive her. It is going to be an expression of love that people for generations to come are going to remember. And so I think about that. What what is my legacy going to be? When I'm gone from here, when you're gone from here, what is our legacy going to be? Is it going to be that we helped other people? That we served others? That we sacrificed for others? That we embodied Jesus in our lives and in our attitudes and in our speech? 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul writes, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We ought to smell like Jesus. As we go out into the world, we ought to be the aroma of Christ. We ought to be like bacon frying in the morning or the popcorn popping or whatever you like to smell. Not vanilla, not into vanilla. Can't handle vanilla. Gives me a headache. But bacon and popcorn, that's pretty good. And you get the idea that what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians is that our lives ought to be such a fragrance, not only to him, but to those around us, that we become a blessing to them. Our offerings to God, our sacrifices, our expressions of love are part of the legacy that we leave behind. I've said this a couple times at, at some funerals recently. I don't know why this is kind of just weighed on me, but you know, I like, I like monuments. I like history. And I like going to, to historical sites and seeing monuments to, you know, to historical characters, you know, whether they be political or military or, or whatever. I like seeing that kind of stuff, you know? And most of us, when we die, nobody's going to build us a monument. I hate to tell you that, but most of us, nobody's going to erect some big Washington, you know, obelisk thing, you know, in our honor or or something like that, or the Taj Mahal, you know, nobody's going to build something like that in, in our honor. You know, at most we're going to get a little tombstone, which is okay, because that's not what our legacy is. Our legacy is what we have left behind in the hearts and minds of those with whom we've come into contact. Not just our family, but our communities, our friends, our schools, or whatever else the case may be. And so we want to leave that legacy that is a blessing to others. What a beautiful story as Mary comes to Jesus, lets down her hair, and begins pouring the expensive perfume On his head and his feet. 
I'm going to add a fourth point real quick. We got time. Where are you going anyway, right? We got time. I'm going to add a fourth point real quick. It's not on there, Dennis, so don't be looking for it. It's one of those just pop, popped into my head. This is free. Extra bonus. When we do what's right, there is always going to be criticism. Here was Mary doing the right thing, and then there's Judas. Why did you let her do that? That was a whole year's worth of wages. It could have been sold and given to the poor. Now, I like John's commentary about it. John gives his own commentary. Judas could have cared less about the poor. He wanted to steal the money. But go back to Luke 7, the other anointing. And you had the same thing, right? The sinful woman that comes in and begins with her tears and her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. And all the people around could think about is, ooh, does Jesus know what kind of woman that is? There is always going to be conflict. There is always going to be discouragement. There is always going to be those things and those people who are going to say and question our motives. But we can't let that affect doing what we know God wants us to do. So a beautiful story of Mary and her coming and offering this sacrifice to Jesus If there's some way that we can help or encourage you this evening, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903 645 If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.